0: Hey, good morning everyone. How many of you you're competitive? You would say I am definitely competitive. How many of you you love to play games? You like the you like the competitive board games? So usually around this time of the year, our our family, we play a lot of uh board games and it gets um it gets pretty competitive. And what what's interesting about playing games, um it really reveals who people truly are. So those of you who think my wife is really sweet and tender. Get her around a board game. I mean, I think the police were only called once to our house, but it was, it was pretty fun. Um, and it's interesting, like, if you, it's interesting how that competitive spirit can just draw out the things that are really in your heart. And th- there's one sport that probably draws out things in my heart or teaches me more about my Christianity than any other is golf, golf. Um, Golf is a humbling, humbling, humbling sport. And if I want to get to really know somebody, I take them golfing. Because just 18 holes with somebody will really, truly show what is going on um, in their heart. And I like to watch golf on TV because I'm just so just enamored by how well these professional golfers play. And one time I was watching, and Bryson DeChambeau is a professional golfer. And he hit, uh, with his 9-iron, he hit a ball two hundred in nineteen yards. Now some of you're like, okay, what's that all about? Okay, I, I don't get it. If you go call so I, I brought Kathleen. I was like, Kathleen, you gotta check this out. Bryson DeChambeau just hit with his nine iron. He hit the ball two hundred and 19 yards. Check this out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. I go, no, no, you're not getting it. 219 yards with a nine iron. I can't even hit my driver that far. And this guy took a nine iron out. But what's interesting about golf is that yes, it will reveal, it will humble you or reveal your, your true character many times. But the one thing I do like about golf is there's one shot in golf that I just love. And it's called the mulligan. And a mulligan, if you know what a mulligan is, a mulligan is a do-over. So if you play golf, you have this one do-over that you can start from scratch, you can do, start your shot over, and it won't count against uh, your score. So when I play with anybody, I just say, listen, if you're playing with me, I get a mulligan on every single hole because I'm terrible at golf. So thank you for that in advance. But what I love about the mulligan, it's a, it's a do-over. And if there's anything that we know about Christianity in a relationship with Christ is that he's a God of second chances, That God gives us a do-over. And what I want to talk about today is looking at our lives and not allowing the things that happen in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, to overwhelm us, to rob us of the hope that God desires to give us. And I just want you to know this morning, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus gives this hope of a brand new Life And so when we look into the new year, many times we look at it as a fresh start, a do-over. Uh, many of you will try to do new things. Many of us set resolutions to stop doing something, like for me, eating so many chocolate chip cookies. But many of us, we, we, we want to start new things or do something new in our life that we've never uh, done before. And about this time last year, Pastor Brandon, our family pastor, came up to me and he says, Hey, what do you think about doing... A triathlon. I said, are you Nazi? He goes, no, it's just a sprint triathlon. It's just, you know, a small, you know, swim and then a bike and then run, running. And I, you know, I, I run and, and I was a swimmer. I would, I would still have to get in shape for those things. But I've never did the biking part. Like I said, I, I don't know anything about road biking. I mean, I have no idea. I've never gotten on a road bike. For those of you that are road bikers, it's hardcore. So, I mean, some go miles and hundreds of miles on their road bikes and I'm just terrible at it. So there's somebody in our church that Mark Drexler, who was, who loved to road bike, he had two road bikes. And I said, Mark, would would you train me? Uh, I've never ridden a bike on the road. So he goes, Okay, I'll train you. So the first time we went out, it's really intimidating riding your bike on a street when cars are going by at fifty-five miles an hour. And so I'm riding my bike, and he's like, uh, Pastor, I got I to tell you something. And I go, What's that, Mark? He goes, You got to go a little faster. He goes, People are walking faster than you're biking right now, so you're going to have to kind of pick up the pace or whatever. But it, it was something. It was something new. Now. Um, Uh, I'll never, ever do another triathlon, but I tried it. It was fun. I'll never do it again, but it's fun. And to this day, I still hate Pastor Brandon, but it was fun. Um, But here's the thing about our relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ gives us a fresh start. And it's an amazing thing that happens when we're in Christ. We get this... We get this second chance. And I love this passage that Paul reiterates this very thing of second chances and that the hope that we have in Christ and the newness that we have in Christ, that he makes all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19. This is what Paul says about, about being new in Christ in this, in this freshness of, of, of a do-over in Christ Jesus. He says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift From God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Aren't you thankful for that? That God does not count our sins against us any longer in Christ Jesus. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And what Paul is saying here is in Christ, we have this second life, we have this fresh start we're forgiven. And I want you to know the hope that we have in Christ. I love what J.R. Packer says here. There's one book I could recommend to you by J.R. Packer. It's called Knowing God. He's since passed away, but, but his, his book Knowing God is a must-read in your library. So if you're looking for new books to read in 2022, that is a must-read. But I love what J.R. Packer says here. He says, There is a tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God knows my past. He's known everything that I've done. But in Christ Jesus, he gives me this fresh new start. He gives me this do-over, and that's the hope that we have. And Christ gives us what the world can't give us, and that's hope. That our identity now is in Christ, not in the circumstances that we're faced with. And the reason why I want you to understand about your identity in Christ and the hope that you have in Christ, this is what will help you to get through the messiest parts of your life. If you know who you are in Christ and if your identity is in Christ and you understand what he did for you, this will help propel you through the worst and the trying and the most trying things that you may have to face in your life because it's so easy to get discouraged. It's easy to allow our circumstances to overwhelm us. Hopelessness is the one thing that will defeat us. And I want to look at this hope that we have in Christ and how we can live our lives with this hope. And see, what causes a a boat to sink? I mean, it's amazing when you see ships and you see these boats and they can go through the most terrible weather and not sink. But what causes a boat to sink? It's when the water gets inside of it, right? What what caused the Titanic to sink is when the water got inside of it. A boat can stay afloat in a storm as long as the water doesn't get inside. Now, for those of you that are boaters, I have a 14-foot fishing boat with a 20-horse Evinrude uh, Tiller motor on the back. It's, it's tricked out to be a bass boat. I put platforms on it. It's got a trolling motor on the front, but it's the oldest boat in the bay. Anybody else gets their boat in? I see they, one guy said, what year is that boat? I said 1987. It's a classic. It's good. He's like, oh, the thing still runs, doesn't it? Yeah, it still runs. It's awesome. I love it. But you'll do this once as a boater. You'll do it once and you'll never forget to do it again. One time I forgot to put the drain plug in my boat. And so we're going in the water and I'm like, man, I know I've got a small engine and I know this thing is slow, but I go, it is really going slow. And all of a sudden I look back and there's like two feet of water in the bottom of the boat. So then after a while, they pulled my boat out of the bottom of Sodus Bay and it still runs great today. No, I'm teasing. Look, I got the plug in there. But you only, you only do that that once. What causes us to sink? What causes us to sink is when we allow hopelessness to enter into our lives. We allow our circumstances to overwhelm us. Our hope in Christ and who we are being that new creation can help us stay afloat in all the trials of our lives. I want you to think for a moment what the early apostles and the disciples had to endure and the persecution they endured. What got them through? Not only what got them through, but what gave them this confidence and this joy and this hope to live in times of persecution? How did they do it? Well, they understood that trials caused them to grow. Now, there's this switch There's the flip. Many times we'll look at our trials and it will overwhelm us to bring hopelessness in our lives. But the switch here that we see in the word of God is the early apostles didn't allow them to lose hope. What it did was is cause them to look at what is God doing in my life? That God can actually use this to create greater joy and greater faith in my life. That's the wonderful thing about serving Christ, is God can use any circumstance to help us to grow. So what the early apostles and the early disciples understood is they understood that trials can cause them to grow deeper in their walk with God. They knew that there was a purpose. And I love what James says here, the brother of Jesus. James in 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, he said, considered an opportunity For great, what? Hopelessness, right? Okay, no one's listening right now. Everybody up here, right? What what does it say? It says, what he says is, this gives us great joy. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, And so what he's saying is, here's your opportunity. Your opportunity is for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. How do we grow? Do we grow through times of of peace and when everything's going perfect in our lives? No, what James is saying is he makes this connection between trials and joy for a reason. He says, because it will allow you to grow in your faith in Christ Jesus. You see, there's the switch. Instead of allowing our circumstances to overwhelm us and give us a sense of hopelessness, James is connecting trials with joy for a reason because it will allow us to grow in him. So how is your faith tested? This is what James says. How is your faith tested? How do you chart your growth? How do you chart that? Well, what James says, you chart it through trials trials will reveal what you're truly trusting like no other thing can see it's only through adversity that it will show where your heart is only through adversity it will show you where your trust is and so god knows he allows us to go through these times of testing and trial to reveal what's going on in our heart so it will develop our endurance It will deepen our faith in Christ to allow us to get through the next thing and the next thing, knowing that God is working through us. And we can do it with joy, knowing that God is for us. I think many times we look at trials and we think, well, you know, God must not love me. God must be against me. And the opposite is true. It may be very well that God is doing something greater in your heart, in your life, to cause you to grow deeper in in him. Instead of letting trials to overcome them, they saw it as an opportunity for growth. And this is why Jesus left his disciples and us with these words. I love these words. One of my favorite words of Jesus in in the New Testament. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's ready to go through his, his trials, and he's getting ready to leave his disciples, and he leaves them with these words. And he he tells them, listen, you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through difficulties. But he tells them, I want to leave you my peace. And in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. But Jesus says, take heart or be of good courage because I have overcome this world. Now this verse helps me in so many ways because Jesus gives us a peace that will not allow us to sink or be overwhelmed by the circumstances in our lives. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you a peace to endure. And the reason why I can give you this peace is because I've... I'm going to overcome this world for you. So let your identity be in me, not in the trials or the circumstances that you're facing. So Jesus is realistic with us and tells us that we're going to experience hardships during our lives. But he tells us that he will give us a peace and provide us with hope that looks beyond our circumstances. And so what we need to have is a correct understanding of the theology Of suffering, And I misunderstood this for many years. I was immature in my understanding about trials because I think many times we can falsely believe that bad things can't happen to me because I'm a Christian or a follower of God. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And in fact, God allows us to go through things for a purpose because in fact, he really does love us and he wants us to grow and he wants our faith to be deep. He wants to challenge us to cause us to grow in him and depend on him beyond anything else our circumstances may throw at us. So does God bless us? Absolutely. Does God give us joy? Absolutely. But there's a different joy that is not based in my circumstances. God wants to give us a joy that's based in who he is and the promises that he gives to us. It's like the beautiful hymn, As Well With My Soul. And there's a couple lines in that hymn that I just absolutely love about it as well with my soul. And there's a, a, what the hymn writer says, he says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll. So what the, what the hymn writer is saying is, whether or not I have peace like a river, or when sorrow comes at me over and over and over again, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I love those words by that hymn writer whether it's whether it's sorrows like sea bills or peace like a river, whatever my lot thou was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And this verse, these verses have helped me tremendously because my ultimate hope is in Christ, who overcame this world for us and who will restore all things. So no matter what we're going through in our lives, no matter what struggles we may go through, we have this hope in Christ because our identity is in him, because we are a new creation in him. He gives us a peace that tells us he will always be with us. So the hope in this passage in John sixteen thirty three, even though we will face difficult things in this world, Jesus tells us to take heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to take heart or to take courage? Well, it's this Greek word, therseo. And what therseo means, it means this. It means to, to take heart or to have courage, being hopeful, bold, and be of good cheer. So what Jesus is saying is he's not saying fake it till you fake it. I hate that statement. It's not like, well, just fake it until you feel better, right? What Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to take heart. Even though you may, even though your circumstances may dictate something different, I want you to take heart. I want you to have courage. I want you to be hopeful. What Jesus is literally saying, he's saying, cheer up. Cheer up because your future is secure. Your future is bright. I like what Lawrence Richards says about take heart or to, to take courage. He says, when discouragement when discouragement or frightened by what we face, take courage is a reminder that in Christ we can abandon negative attitudes and face life with a confident, optimistic attitude that disposes us to act in faith. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, Take heart. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. Your future is bright. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I've secured heaven for you. I like John records in his gospel Jesus' words when he talks about those who follow him and what Jesus gives to us. Jesus says, I'm the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out, they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it. To the full, and basically, what these verses speak to when when John is speaking, when John records Jesus' words of coming in and going out, these verses speak of God's blessings. They speak of covenant language that Jesus, in me, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you peace. You're gonna find good pasture, and you're gonna have life and have it full. Even though circumstances may dictate differently, in Christ, He wants to give us a full life. Jesus gives us a choice now to live with hope. I like what C.S. Lewis says here uh, about hope in his book, Mere Christianity. That's another book you need to read if you haven't read that yet on your 2022 uh, reading list. But what what C.S. Lewis says here in his book, Mere Christianity, he he talks about heaven. And I think so many times we can get so caught up in the world here today that we lose sight that Jesus has secured eternity for us. That the trials that we go through here on earth should propel us to want heaven even greater. Now I know there's a a saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But I, I don't like that saying too much. Because I think it's okay to be heavenly minded and still have your mind here on earth, right? And not forget about what God's calling is. But I think we need to be heavenly minded. We need to be reminded of what Jesus has in store for those who put their trust in him. What Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, trust also in God, for in my Father's house are what? Are many rooms, many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to do what? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I do that, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to restore all things. And so our ultimate hope is heaven. Our ultimate hope is we get to be with Jesus, That is our ultimate hope. So no matter what we go through here on earth, we have this hope with inside of us that we will be with Christ. Everything else that heaven has for us is just the cherry on top of the Sunday, right? But the, our ultimate hope is we get to be with Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And I like what C.S. Lewis says here in Mere Christianity. He says, He says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must, never let, I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on so that other, so to that other country and to help others to do the same. Not to get distracted. And I think what can happen in, in our world and all the things that we have to deal with and how everything is topsy-turvy, it can just get us distracted from our true calling. And God says, don't get distracted. You have a hope. You're a new creation in me. Don't get distracted from heaven and the true calling that I have given you. And I love what C.S. Lewis here. He goes, I'm pressing on that other country and I want others. I want others to do the same. I want to help others find their true home. Can you imagine what heaven is like? He says, I've gone there. I'm preparing a place for you and it has to be beautiful. So the question is, what do we do in the waiting the question is what do we do when we're going through a trial the question is how do we deal with situations that seem hopeless how do we deal with that well first we need to know who are you know who were identified with and that's Christ we need to know who we are in Christ and find our identity in him because nothing can change that no circumstance no trial can change who you are in Christ but what do we do when we feel like we're in the dark or we're waiting and, and we're just like, God, are you there? Are you listening to me? What do we do in the waiting? I was, um, I was reading a devotional from Alistair Begg and he brought, he brought this great point of God's relationship with Abraham. And when God called Abraham, God called Abraham to leave everything, to leave his country and to go to a place where God called him. And God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And from that nation, God's children would be birthed. But Abraham had to listen to the call of God. He had to walk and step out by faith. Now, the issue is Abraham at that point was 75 years old, and him and Sarah, his wife, had no children. So he's 75 years old. He completely has to trust God and trust his promises that God is going to do this great work through him. And I love what God showed Abraham while he was waiting for the promise to be fulfilled and his son Isaac to be born. He had to wait for this promise. But I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Paul talks about the faith of Abraham while he was waiting, while the circumstances didn't match the promise of God. Because sometimes what we allow our circumstances to do is overwhelm the promises of God. And that's where hopelessness can enter into our lives, where we can easily get discouraged. But I love what Paul says about Abraham in in Romans chapter 4, verses uh, 20 and 21. It says, Yet he did not waver. And the, the, the preceding verses talk about them waiting for the promise uh, because Sarah's womb was dead and they were waiting for this promise to have their, their son born. And, and what, is, what, what Paul brings out in Romans here, he says, Yet he did not waver, though unbelief, regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so what Abraham's going to have to do is he's going to have to believe the promise of God even though everything around him said just the opposite. How can you have a child at this old age? You have to give up everything to follow God. And God gave him this promise that he would make a great nation out of him. So at 75 years old, Abraham left everything to follow the call of God. To go to a country he did not know, totally by faith. Abraham and his wife had no children. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for their son Isaac to be born. And so in that waiting, yeah, did they make a mistake? We know the, the, the story. Many of you know the story about Hagar and, and, and jumping the gun. But here's the thing. In that waiting, God does something. He speaks to Abraham in between that time of his son being born, in that time of waiting for 25 years. And it's found in Genesis 17. And I love what God speaks to Abraham here. And I want you to hear his words to Abraham. He doesn't give Abraham like a a one, two, three, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do, here's three steps for better living. What he does to Abraham, he speaks something to Abraham to trust his promises. And in Genesis 17, 1 and 2, this is what God says to Abraham while he's waiting. He says, when Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old, still waiting for the promise, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. They're waiting year after year after year for this promise to be fulfilled. And what does God do? God doesn't tell him exactly how it's going to happen. God does something very special in his relationship with Abraham. He, he reveals a name. He reveals his character to him. And what God says to him is, I am God Almighty or El Shaddai. He says, I am El Shaddai. Now, El- Elsterberg brings out another meaning here of El Shaddai. Not only does it mean God Almighty, but it also means God who is all-sufficient. So basically, what God is saying to Abraham, I am all-sufficient to meet your needs. Even though it doesn't look like it, even though all the things that are happening on around your life and your circumstances don't look like that, and it doesn't look hopeful, I am an all-sufficient God. Are you going to trust my sufficiency Or are you going to trust the circumstances that are around you? And what I love about this is what God does for Abraham is he doesn't give him one, two, three steps or tell him exactly when it's going to happen. But what he does to Abraham, he reveals his character. And he says to Abraham, trust my character more than your circumstances. And this is where we miss it. Listen, this is where we miss it in our relationship with God. We get so consumed with our circumstances that we forget that our God is all-sufficient. Do you remember what Jesus said to Paul when Paul had the thorn in his, his side and he prayed three times for, 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 for God to remove it? The response to Paul was this. My grace is what? Sufficient. And in your weakness, I will be strong. Sometimes God has to bring us to a place where all we have is him. All we have is, is his sufficiency. He says, I want to know you. I want to know you deeply. I want you to know my character. Can I fix this situation? Absolutely. God can do all things. He's all powerful. But God wanted Abraham to trust his sufficiency because he was going to need that the rest of his life. God sometimes puts us in a place where all we have is him. listen, Living in our world, living in America, it's very easy to be self-sufficient, right? It's very easy for us just to go to you know, urgent care or whatever to get things done quickly because we're self-sufficient, we can fix things. We have things at our fingertips, we're very blessed and we should be very grateful and thankful for that. But I think what happens is in that, it can cause us to become self-sufficient and not recognize that God is an all-sufficient God. And not wake up every morning saying, God, you're sufficient. You're going to meet my needs. Regardless of what's going on in my life, you're going to meet my needs. And I have to trust your character. And I love that God showed him his character. What God was saying to Abraham is this, trust my character. I will fulfill my promises. And then soon after that, Isaac was born. See, our hope is not in this world but in Christ who overcame this world for us. So Jesus told us, he says, listen, I'm preparing a place for those who trust me. I want to be your all-sufficient God. My promises will come true. So listen, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, our identity is now in him. Our hope is in him, no matter what goes on in our world or our life, our hope is in him. But then he says, don't let your hope be distracted by what happens in this world. Don't let it be distracted. Use what God is doing in this season of your life to show you that he is all sufficient. And I know it's hard when we have to wait for God to do these things. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy. I like what Alistair Beck says. He says, Every season of waiting is an opportunity for you to take God at his word every season of waiting is an opportunity for us to take God at his word. And so my question to you here today, where is your trust? What are you waiting for right now? What is the thing that you're faced with right now that has really got your back against the wall? I want you to know that God is El Shaddai, that he's God Almighty, that he's an all-sufficient God, And he wants to reveal to you his character more than anything else, that he is faithful to his promises. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, listen, take heart. You can be of good cheer because I've overcome this world for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, but trust in me for I'm preparing a place for you and I'm coming back to get you. So our ultimate hope is not here in this world. It's in heaven. So no matter what we go through, we have this hope in Christ, this solid anchor that will never let go, amen? We have this solid anchor that will never let go. So whatever you're faced with today, I wanna to encourage you today to let El Shaddai be that God that is all sufficient, to relinquish those things. Listen, for me, I'm a worrier, I get anxious, and it's hard sometimes to, you know, to let your mind go, well, how's this gonna work out, how's this gonna work out? I need to do this, I need to do that. And sometimes God just says, in that waiting, let me show you who I am that I'm an all-sufficient God, that I am El Shaddai, that I am there for you. And that's exactly what Abraham needed to hear. He didn't need to hear the how-to. He needed to hear God's reassuring words that He is all-sufficient and He will be all-sufficient to you when you put your trust in Him. Amen? I want to pray for you today because I don't know what everybody's struggling with here today or what you're going through today but let God be El Shaddai in your heart and your life. And so as we go into this new year, whatever it may, whatever it may, whatever it may have for us, we can trust that God is El Shaddai, that he's all-sufficient, that he'll always be there for us. So Father God, we just bow our hearts before you right now. Lord, we thank you that you are an all-sufficient God today. Thank you for what you spoke to Abraham. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is just um, feels like they're in that that season of waiting. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them as being that all sufficient El Shaddai to them today. God, Lord, I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, that your promises are true, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, keep our minds set on what we have in store for us that we don't have to allow our circumstances to overwhelm us. Lord, to take away the hope that we have in Christ, that our hope in Christ can help us to stay above the waves and all the difficult circumstances. And even though they're difficult and even though they're not easy, we have this hope within us that gives us a joy that you're working all things for your purposes and your glory. And we thank you for that. And that should give us a joy that you're working all things for your good. So we thank you, Lord, for your care for us, for loving us, for knowing what's best for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to be faithful, God, to your word, to listening to your spirit. Help us to be faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you that you had that personal relationship with Abraham, that you revealed yourself to him in a personal way, that he could trust you even when his circumstances dictated something different. Thank you that your promises are true and we can trust you with our lives. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, Lord, we thank you, the promises that communion hold, that Jesus not only covers our sins and makes us new, but also it's something that we look forward to, that Jesus will come back and he will restore all things. So we thank you for the promises that communion hold for us. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take out your communion cups at this time and uh, go ahead and take the, the top foil off that will reveal the wafer and then the next tab there, it will um, reveal the, the grape juice. So go ahead and do that now and we'll partake of communion together. Yeah, you guys are getting used to this, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Good job. As we take the wafer, as you look at the wafer, I want to remind you of what this symbolizes, Jesus' body that was given for us. And Jesus says, whenever you partake of this, do this in remembrance of me. His blood was shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. So his blood was given for us. His sacrifice was a substitute for you and I by taking our sins upon himself. We could now... We could now be saved and not face the wrath of God because Jesus faced it for us. So We have a lot to be thankful for. But also want to remind you that it, when we take communion, we look forward to Jesus coming again and um, restoring all things and making all things new. And so as we take communion today, may we always remember what Jesus did for us. And as we start off this new year as a church and as individuals, let us remember that it's through his precious sacrifice that each and every one of us have an ultimate hope of heaven, and it's only through Jesus Christ that this is available. So we thank you, Lord, for these emblems, and as we take them now, Lord, we recognize that Jesus is the only way. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you that we have the hope that you will return to to bring us back home. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. And then we can partake of the drink together too. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? And we're just going to sing this song in closing. Let's just celebrate what God has done for us. He's such a good God. He's so faithful. And so let's thank him this morning. God bless you as you stand and you sing this in closing.